plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Welcome to Star Style V, the star you are. On the Voice America Network, I am Cynthia Bryan, your host and producer. And the program is brought to the airwaves under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity. I hope that you are having a great week as we uh, get into mid-June. Amazing how quickly it all, <laughs> the months are going by. And there are just so much that's happening from graduation. Father's Day is coming up. There's lots of birthdays. It's Pride Month. So what we're going to talk about today is Father's Day, Pride Month, and something that is important to me and probably a lot of other people. We're going to talk about AI and how uh, generative AI technologies not only are on the rise, uh, resulting in ebooks, magazine articles, children's books, and stories, but really how it is affecting authors and what the Authors Guild, of, of whom, which I am a member, says about these writing and artistic aids. Uh, we have to wonder if humans are going to be replaced. Now, June does mark Pride Month, so there are annual celebrations of the many contributions that are made by the LGBTQ community to history, society, and cultures worldwide. Sadly, here in America, as well as in other parts of the world, many gay events and gatherings suffer oppression and violence. But we're going to uh, dig into some of the positive aspects and some of the history. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are, and we have extended our shoe drive, which I'm excited about, so you can, until July 31st, so you can find out more by visiting BeTheStarYouAre.org, BeTheStarYouAre.org, and if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area and going to be in the Moraga area, Please be, bring by any boots or shoes, uh, any kinds of shoes. Just tie the laces together or rubber band them, and you can drop them off at 5A or at Mark Hogue's uh, State Farm Insurance, and you will see that on the website, be the starur.org. And this is from Goethe. I love those who yearn for the impossible. And uh, yes, I've always said that. We can see the invisible to create the impossible. And that's kind of been a motto of mine forever is I just don't believe in impossible. I really think that we can do whatever we put our minds to. You know, when we get the right education, we write the plan, we get support, we get the tools we need, and uh, we go into action. And of course, we have to believe in ourselves. But this weekend is Father's Day, and 
children need nurturing fathers. I was very, very blessed to have just an amazing father who um, uh, all five kids, we were all very close to him. In fact, each of us thought we were his favorite. That's how he made, and he made everybody feel that way. Every person that knew him thought they were his very best friend. Or he, or they, yes, that's the way it goes. Because he cared about uh, people. And of, he was lucky because he had that kind of relationship with his dad and his two brothers, and they all got along so well. And so I, you know, I was very fortunate to grow up with a dad who, who listened to me, who cared what I said, who um, was really interested in what I was doing, what I was studying. And it, more children need that because it just helps you be a very balanced person. So research shows that a strong paternal connection helps young people to manage their emotions and deal with mental crises. For, so for Father's Day, I thought it would be really good to dig into why a father is so necessary, a caring man is necessary in the life of a child. And, you know, up until just a few decades ago, American parents pretty much fell into specific gender roles. You know, fathers were the providers, mothers were the nurturers, the the housemakers or homemakers, as you called them, household engineers, whatever you want to call them. And of course, today, most uh, women are working and mothers are providers as well. And research suggests that fathers, though, are still lagging behind on their responsibilities as caregivers. Now, um, I, I think I've been looking at my own kids who are uh, parents now, and I find that they're very, very involved mothers and fathers equally. So I'm excited that this generation of, um, I guess they'd be millennials or Zs are are definitely you know more involved than dads were a few generations ago. So as, there's going to be a um, a survey published very soon by the Harvard Education Schools Making Care Caring Common Project, and it interviewed more than sixteen hundred teenagers, and it found that almost twice as many. 14 to 18 year old girls and boys feel comfortable opening up to their mothers, 72%, as to their fathers, only 39% when it comes to feelings like anxiety, depression, or any other mental health challenge. And that gap suggests that fathers have a little bit more to do. They have to be more involved at home and offer the kind of emotional support that many children today just so urgently need. Intimacy between a parent and a child is a protective buffer against that day-to-day -day challenge that we call life. And sociologists have found that when uh, you have a warm, caring dad, it produces what they call the good father effect. In fact, in 2021, there was a study published in the Journal of Family Psychology, and it examined the at-home emotional support received by 388 teens over several years, and they measured the levels of parental intimacy by asking questions 
about how often they went to their mother or to their father for advice and how much they shared their feelings and secrets with them. And what the researchers found that was that closeness with fathers was associated with fewer weight concerns, higher self-esteem, and fewer depression symptoms for both girls and boys. So that intimacy, that closeness with your dad was just so important. And then close relationships with mothers provided positive benefits as well, but for a narrower range of ages than for fathers. So when you have a two-parent family, for example, the protective effect of the father-youth intimacy is actually more apparent than that of the mother-youth intimacy. And this is what researchers found. And since mothers tend to be engaged in, you know, all these kind of intimate conversations more often than fathers, emotional closeness with fathers may be more salient and it leaves a bigger impact. Um, I know that for me, my mom could be the disciplinarian and yell at, at me when I did something wrong when I was a kid. And, you know, sometimes I obeyed and sometimes I didn't. But if my dad just said to me that he was disappointed in something that I did, I fell apart because I never wanted to disappoint my dad. You know, he was just always just so, so, so caring. So a literature review was just published in this past January in the journal Infant and Child Development. And what it looked at was four dozen studies on father-child relationships And it highlighted the role that dads play in building a child's skills when they're, you know, especially when they're trying to regulate emotions. And fathers who were involved in caregiving and played with their kids and who reacted with warmth and greater sensitivity to a child when a child expressed any kind of emotion, these uh, men were significantly more likely to have children that um, exhibited better emotional balance all the way from infancy to adolescence. So those skills in children are linked with higher levels of social competence, peer relationships, academic achievement, and resilience, while a poor emotional regulation skills are linked with the things you would think, anxiety, depression, and behavioral problems. Now, the people that are affected the most are boys, and that is probably, um, you know, very obvious um, that because whether fathers are part of the emotional equation, our culture often tells men that softer emotions are weak, so fathers may have to give sons explicit permission to feel. And that isn't true at all. I mean, people who care and uh, are caring um, and who ask for help, that's a sign of strength. It's not a sign of weakness. So because many men didn't grow up, though, with an emotionally warm male role model, they may lack that confidence in their abilities to be a sensitive caregiver. And then that can hold them back. And then when women take on the role of being the sole emotional caregiver, the only one who can comfort a child, the only one who talks about emotions, what it does is it further entrenches that idea that the expression of vulnerable feelings 
belongs in the female domain. So, you know, it's not enough to encourage our sons to share their inner worlds. The men that they look up to, whether it be a dad or a friend or a grandparent or an uncle, they the men they look up to and respect, they need to show them how to be emotional and how to care. A, a father's lack of confidence can set off a really vicious cycle. Mothers sometimes respond by engaging in what researchers are calling gatekeeping behavior, actions that obstruct the partner's relationship with the child. And although the, you know, the maternal gatekeeping is probably done in a very loving way and in otherwise supportive marriages, a 2015 study published in the journal Parenting uh, it, by Sarah uh, Sullivan, a professor of psychology at Ohio State University, found that mothers are more likely to actually close the gate to fathers when the women are feeling anxious and depressed or hold excessively high standards for parenting or when fathers lack that confidence. And in these cases, mothers get frustrated when they feel that parenting tasks aren't being done to their standards. Um, and what they sometimes do is they, like we do in, with everything in life, you know, you decide, okay, I'll just take care of it myself. Or maybe you redo the task after the dad has completed it. And in that way, gatekeeping can really become a self-fulfilling prophecy, can be very negative. Because the more that fathers believe that they are incapable of caregiving, the more likely they will not be good caregivers, and the more likely mothers are to take control and limit the uh, you know the paternal involvement, and then add to that psychological load that already falls on women because women are still even in this day and age still doing the majority of the homework. So social factors, we have a lot of them. There's paid leave for mothers or the lack of it. For fathers, I mean, and not all mothers get paid leave, but the fact that there's a lack of it for fathers, that conspires to influence gatekeeping behaviors because it automatically is putting the woman in the role of the primary caregiver and placing the dad in the secondary position as the helper. And we have, as a society, we have to break that. We have to put the men and women on an equal Plain. Of course, when we do that, we also need to pay women equally for the same jobs that men are doing. And uh, parents just need to be on the lookout and guard against a division of parenting labor that, you know, unwittingly reinforces problematic uh, patterns. Now, um, the co-founder of a national support group for fathers called City Dads, his name is Matt Schneider, and he's a father of two. He says that fathers need to push back against the myth that men are less, less capable of being sensitive than their female counterparts. And fathers do not need to accept the proposition that they are inherently less nurturing. You, you know, learning how to be warm, how to be emotionally attentive, um, it just involves the on-the-day, everyday job training and staying actively engaged until you start getting good at it. It's like everything else in life. Practice, practice, practice. 
So during the early days, uh, for example, of the COVID pandemic, when families were, you know, they were in lockdown, they were at home together and dads were home. And dads said that they experienced a stronger intimacy with their children. And a couple of months into the lockdown, a uh, Making Caring Common was surveyed 1,300 parents and found that 70% of parents cutting across all races and classes reported feeling closer to their children. And more than half reported that their children were sharing more about their emotions, talking more, and just it, their, the family dynamics had changed for a very positive one. And then there was a follow-up survey that was published in June of 2020, and it looked at why dads felt closer despite the challenges. And uh, what fathers were saying is that they seem to be communicating more and on a deeper level. So of course now the world has moved on from the pandemic and now it takes more deliberate effort to carve out time in the day for any conversations but one place where fathers can take the lead in talking about feelings is at the dinner table. And hopefully the dinner table is still something that parents um, and families do together. Because by opening up about the best and worst parts of your own day, you can show that grown men experience emotions such as joy and sadness and frustration and anger. And all of that is really uh, modeling for your children. Now, fathers can also strive to become what Yale's Dr. Brackett calls an emotion scientist. And that's someone who shows curiosity about their children's feelings and teaches them how to put those feelings into words. So instead of just listening in order to solve a problem, which that's something that, you know, dads have always put in, put in that position, we can solve a problem. Uh, this type of active listening, it requires empathy. Empathy, the focus isn't on offering advice, but on getting the child to open up by asking encouraging questions like, what do you need right now? What can I help you do? How can I listen better to the best, um, you know, their answers are going to vary. But to best protect our children's mental health, particularly our sons, we want them to understand that being strong isn't about being invulnerable. Being strong is about being vulnerable, opening up, asking for help, and then exhibiting our emotions. So um, with that, I just want to end this segment saying, I know that as dads are listening now, you're all amazing. And I wish you a really, really happy Father's Day because I can't say enough good things about my dad and, um, and grandparent. And I just really, really believe that men have the ability and responsibility to be, you know, just human with their kids. Just show the love and show your vulnerability. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be back in a bit, and we're going to talk about Pride Month. Don't go away. Be the star you are. The star you are. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. 
Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts, and Be The Star You Are for Teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925-377-STAR. 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 Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world, lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR, 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 and visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan, www.cynthiabryan.com. Are you a teenager with lots to say, but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel. And join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com You can express yourself. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business. Well, we are back here in business. Thank you for staying with me on Star Style. Be the star you are. Well, this segment is dedicated to Pride Month, and Pride Month is an annual celebration of the many contributions that have been made by the LGBTQ plus community to history, to society and cultures worldwide. Uh, Pride is celebrated throughout the month of June here in the United States. And it has its roots in those Stonewall riots of June, 1969. And of course, in other parts of the world, it's celebrated at, at you know different times of the year. Now, the roots of the gay rights movement actually go back to the early 1900s when there was a handful of individuals in North America and Europe created a gay and lesbian organization such as the Society for Human Rights. It was founded by Henry Gerber in Chicago in the 1920s. And then following World War II, a small number of groups um, like the Mattachine Society and the Daughters of Bilitis published gay and lesbian positive newsletters and grew more vocal in demanding recognition for and protesting discrimination against gays and lesbians. And in 1966, 
that society held a sip-in protest at Julius, which was a bar in New York City, where they demanded drinks after announcing that they were gay, which was a violation of local laws against serving alcohol to gays and lesbians. So despite some progress in the post-war era, basic civil rights were largely denied to gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people until one night in June 1969, when the gay rights movement took a really furious step forward with a series of violent uh, riots in New York City, and they were called the Stonewall Riots. So um, what, what, as was common practice in many cities, the New York Police Department would occasionally raid bars and restaurants where gays and lesbians were known to gather. And this particular night, June 28, 1969, the, the NYPD raided the Stonewall Inn, which was a bar in Greenwich Village in the neighborhood, um, you know, in Manhattan, in New York. And when the police aggressively dragged patrons and employees out of the bar, people fought back and a growing crowd of angry locals gathered in the streets and the confrontation quickly escalated and sparked six days of protests and violent clashes with the NYPD outside the Stonewall Inn and throughout the neighborhood. And by the time the Stonewall riots ended on July 2nd, the gay rights movement went from being a fringe issue, which was being ignored by politicians and the media to actual front page news worldwide. Uh, and in time, they had a gay, a first gay pride parade uh, actually a year later on the anniversary of the Stonewall riots. And in time, that celebration just simply became known as the gay pride parade. So it's interesting, um, the march that took place on June 28th, 1970, is considered the country's first gay pride parade. Uh, and by all accounts, the New York City event was an absolute success with over 5,000 participants in the march stretching 51 blocks from Greenwich Village to Central Park. And from then on, marches and parades have been taking place in June, in Chicago, Los Angeles, and of course, um, here in San Francisco. Now, it's, it, I wanted to point out is that uh, it's really frustrating to me how much um, pushback that there is against gay rights. Uh, you know, I am just a huge believer that love is love. And we politicians and other people need to stay out of everybody's bedrooms. <laughs> uh, so several new protections for LGBTQ students and families were unveiled on Thursday, June 8th. So last week um, by the Biden administration, including establishing a coordinator to lead the charge against banning books in schools. Um, and it is yet to be named the education department coordinator who's going to train school districts and advise them that banning books may violate federal civil laws if they create a hostile environment for students. Almost 1,500 instances of book bannings in schools have affected 874 different titles in the first half of the school year. And that was according to Pan America's index of school book bans. That's representing nearly a 30% increase over the previous school year. 
and more than a quarter of the banned books have LGBTQ characters or themes, according to uh, the index of school book bans. The states that have implemented the greatest number of book bans this year are Texas, Florida, Missouri, Utah, and South Carolina. And it makes me really frustrated when I hear you know, the word woke. I really don't even know what woke means. If it means being kind and inclusive, I guess then I'm woke. But I just think that it's time that we stop, we stop, um, you know, separating and dividing uh, the Authors Guild, which I'm going to be talking about with AI in the next segment. They are advocating and asking everyone to stop the book banning because battles over banned books, it's showing no signs of stopping. And according to the American Library Association, the number of books challenged in schools and public libraries in 2022 hit an all-time record. 2,571 unique titles were targeted for censorship. That is just crazy. Um, in 2021, there were 1,858, and 40% of the overall books challenged were in cases involving 100 books or more because there's national groups that compile lists of titles to be challenged. So the Authors Guild created a Stop Book Bans Toolkit, and you can use it to fight back against book bans in your own local schools and libraries. The toolkit provides letter templates and details on how to contact your school boards, write to your state legislatures, or submit letters to area newspapers and radio stations. And um, how you can find it is uh, you can go to authorsguild.org forward slash resource, a forward slash, and then you'll, you can type in stop book bans toolkit. Or if you just go to authorsguild.org and go to resource, you're going to find that. It just reminds me, when you start banning books, it really feels like Hitler. It feels like Nazi times when they were burning books. Uh, book banning erodes our democracy and it removes vital resources for student learning that can contribute to more stigma and isolation and so many communities are already facing that, and we just can't have it. There is a new joint effort by the Department of Homeland Security and the Justice Department to train LGBTQ centers to deal with threats of violence, including shooting and bomb threats, along with cyber attacks. And um, that was also announced this past week. And, you know, it. <laughs> The DHS has said some might be inspired to commit violence by factors including their perceptions of the 2024 general election cycle and legislative or judicial decisions pertaining to social political issues. And the Health and Human Services Department promises to issue new evidence-based guidance for mental health providers for care for transgender kids. And specific guidance wasn't immediately um, provided, but it, the guidance is going to be made public so that everyone can uh, can access this. And um, officials have said the guidance is aimed at addressing the higher rates of suicide attempts 
among LGBTQ adolescents compared to their heterosexual peers. And a report from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration from March noted that LGBTQ uh, plus students are three times more likely to attempt suicide and between 25% and 51% of transgender students have attempted suicide. And these actions come as the highest number of proposals limiting the LGBTQ rights for adults and children have been proposed in state houses across the country this year. There have been more than 525 bills and of these bills, they were introduced in state legislatures in 41 states in 2023. And 76 bills became law as of June 5th. And that's according to the Human Rights Campaign. And for me, I just find this so sad. Having grown up um, and spent so much time and still spending time in the entertainment industry and in the modeling industry, there are people of all persuasions, um, all races, ethnicities, cultures, beliefs, religions, political uh, you know, persuasions, etc. But the interesting thing is, is that I, I think that we can all get along if we just learn about each other. And I can't at all believe that so many people that are against um, all the LGBTQ people don't know someone who they love who is in that category. And so to me, it just seems very, very um, hypocritical, very hypocritical. And so I want to just um, talk a little bit about mental health and suicide. If you received my uh, latest newsletter, and if you haven't, you can email me, Cynthia, at star-style.com, and I can add you to the list, or you can go to Substack um, and look for Cynthia Bryan, and you can be added to the list. But it is this uh, newsletter that I just sent out um, two days ago. It's addressing mental health and teen suicide. And, you know, everyone does feel down and depressed from time to time. Yet sometimes depression is a deeper mental health concern that needs to be addressed. So we have to reach out for help. It is a sign of strength, not weakness. And there are so many resources that are available. And social media has become an outlet for young people, especially to express their despair. And when we start viewing consistent negative content, it causes feelings of isolation, anger, and overwhelming. You know, we just feel like we just can't go on. So the mission of Be The Star You Are charity is to empower through positive messages, especially in media. That's why I have this radio show and provide tools for living. And I, this is for women, families, and uh, youth as well. We want everybody to be able to be supported and heard. And our Be The Star You Are uh, volunteers and contributors and radio reporters and radio hosts, we have been focusing this month on teen suicide and prevention. Uh, so make sure that you check out um, 
the Express Yourself Teen Radio, where you're going to find interviews about drug addiction, mental health, and teen suicide. It's really important. And we do have to celebrate Pride Month um, and to celebrate the freedom for every individual to be who they are, the freedom to be themselves. Whether they're lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, we have to honor them because all they're really asking for is peace. They're not trying to groom anybody or change anybody. And we do have to remember that love is love. And that is very, very important. So uh, I do want to just read one little um, passage that one of the volunteers, Hamza Habib, wrote about breaking the stigma addressing teen mental health. Uh, addressing teen mental health is crucial despite the surrounding social stigma. 50% of U.S. adolescents, around 21 million, have experienced a mental health disorder such as depression or anxiety. And treatment options like cognitive behavioral therapy and medication are available. A supportive network, including family and friends, can help alleviate stress and depression. And certain families may hold misconceptions, hindering access to necessary medical assistance. For instance, only 9.5% of Asian American teens received specialized mental health services. That's the lowest among all racial groups. And outreach programs and social media can educate families about mental health, fostering a more open environment for adolescents to seek help. So don't shy away from discussing mental health, but instead be compassionate and understanding, lending an ear to those in need. And any small step that we take to be inclusive and loving and kind will pave the way for a brighter future. So I hope that you will take this to heart and um, be be kind, <laughs> be be inclusive, and know that every person is equal, and that we all deserve to be happy, and we all deserve love. So celebrate Pride Month with those who you know, and uh, and honor the fact that they are here with us and they are making incredible contributions to our world. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I'll be back with effective criticism. Don't go away. Change your world, change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. I have never liked the word criticism. I prefer the word feedback because criticism just seems to be so negative to me. But good employee managers can provide workers with feedback that is effective in helping to correct any problems and preserve employee morale. You want to identify the behavior you wish which, you know, that you might think about criticizing, but instead you're going to give feedback and direct that feedback at the action, not the person. Make your feedback specific. Do not issue threats. Make sure the employee understands the reason that you're talking and offer to help the employee and offer incentives for a change behavior. Don't express anger and sarcasm. 
Demonstrate that you understand his or her feelings and begin your meeting by stating something positive. In the meeting by reaffirming your support and confidence in that person. And finally, just remember you are the star of your own performance, so turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another Business Bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com. That's CynthiaBryan.com. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. bethestarur.org. Dare to care. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show. Well, thank you again for staying with me. I'm always so happy to continue on into our third segment. Well, this segment is going to be about AI and authors. Because as an author, it, from what uh, all the Zoom meetings I'm doing and all the the uh, letters I'm getting and, you know, the magazines, it sounds like AI could be taking over some of our skills. So uh, this is a letter from the home office from the president of um, the Authors Guild, Authors Guild. And I thought it was just a very, very, um, very appropriate. So it says, dear members, how often do we get to speculate about futuristic developments and see them unfold before us, not over a lifetime or even a decade, but in a matter of a few years? Here at the Authors Guild, we've been writing and speaking about how generative AI systems, artificial intelligence that can generate text, images, music, and other works would affect the writing profession and other creative fields. We speculated that the day would come soon, but it did not expect it would be this soon. And with the release of OpenAI's ChatGPT last November, followed quickly by GPT-4, Bing's New Sydney and Google's Bard, and now GPT-5 just around the corner, AI-generated writing has clearly arrived and its use is already exploding. Since the release of ChatGPT and GPT-4, we've seen a host of eBooks and stories written with generative AI technologies on Amazon, in magazine submissions, and in other places. We've seen hundreds of eBooks on Amazon list ChatGPT as the co-author. 
And we can assume that hundreds or thousands of books were written with chat GPT and other GPT powered programs without any acknowledgement. And these include children's books, sci-fi pulp fiction, advice books, get rich quick schemes, coding instructions, recipes, and instructions for how to use ChatGPT to write, written entirely by ChatGPT, of course. And just as an aside, I have to say that there is a local writer here um, in, in my area who actually just wrote a book um, completely by ChatGPT, a children's book, and had it um, illustrated, and then he published it in a print version. So this is very, you know, it's happening. So literacy sci-fi magazines have seen a surge of submissions authored by AI. And two popular sci-fi and fantasy magazines, Clark's World and Grimdark, recently closed submissions after being inundated by AI-generated stories and are assessing ways to improve the vetting process and to detect uh, any AI uh, works. Now, creators of AI books have posted videos and tutorials on YouTube, on TikTok, on Reddit, telling people how books can be produced and uploaded within a matter of days or even hours. And another aside, you might have just read the news that Many um, contributors to Reddit have gone dark for 48 hours because they uh, Reddit, um, they're in protest. Reddit wants to be compensated for AI scanning its discussion groups to use in, you know, AI like ChatGPT. So these are not the first AI writing aids, however. Tools such as Jasper and Copymatic and Article Forge, they've been used for a couple of years already helping to generate content, blogs, social media posts, ads, email newsletters, and website copy. In journalism, AI has been used for several years to produce short news reports, such as sports stories. But ChatGPT made it possible to write entire articles using it, allowing a wider array of news publications to use it as well, including for longer articles. The tech site CNET has been using AI to generate articles about personal finance. BuzzFeed has started using ChatGPT to create quizzes. Wired, however, recently announced it will not use AI to write or edit articles, but may use it to generate story ideas and possibly to edit them. So when ChatGPT was first released to the public in December, I asked it, and when I say I, this is Mary Rassenberger, who is the CEO of, um, of the Authors Guild. She said, I asked it, uh, does AI writing technology have the potential to change the profession of writing in significant ways? And here's what ChatGPT said. AI-powered writing assistance. These tools use natural language processing, NLP, and machine learning algorithms to help writers generate ideas, organize their thoughts, and check their grammar and spelling. Some examples include Grammarly, ProWritingAid, and Hemingway Editor. The second thing, AI-generated content are now AI systems that are generate human-like written content, as such as news articles and social media posts. And these systems use machine learning algorithms to analyze 
large data sets of text and generate new content based on patterns and trends they identify. Third, AI-assisted translation. AI-assisted translation tools like Google Translate or DeepL use machine learning algorithms to translate written content from one language to another. And these tools can help writers create multilingual content more efficiently. But they also have the potential to replace human translators. And the fourth thing that ChatGPT offered was AI-powered content optimization. AI-powered content optimization tools can help writers improve the search engine rankings of their content by analyzing it for keywords and other factors that search engines use to determine relevance. And overall, these new AI writing technologies have the potential to make the writing process more efficient and effective, but it also raises the question about the future of human employment in the writing profession. Some writers may find that they are able to produce higher quality work with the help of AI tools, while others will be threatened by the prospect of being replaced by machines. <laughs> I found that so fascinating. Now, writers have much to celebrate with a lot of these new tools because it can help you brainstorm and develop a plot or a character or organize thoughts or an outline, as well as suggest synonyms and help you edit. Um, and you can also prompt it for text that you can then edit, though most professional writers will find it more efficient to write their own work than to edit AI-generated text for anything but any rote writing. But even that could change quickly with each new version of GPT or BARD. And at the same time, as writers are starting to employ and appreciate AI writing tools, the risk of generative AI replacing authors and crowding out the market for human authored books and stories is increasing. And without a doubt, AI is going to re replace many human writers sooner rather than later and especially at copywriting and entry-level journalism positions. So given the limitations of AI, some believe it's unlikely that AI will ever be able to compete with human-authored literary fiction or nonfiction. However, the danger does remain that popular book markets, including the children's market, as I was just saying, about the, the gentleman who wrote a children's book all on AI, or the self-help or the genre fiction, it's going to become so saturated that publishers, both traditional and, and independent, are going to find it harder to make a profit and they won't want to invest in books. So um, <laughs> publishers have already been forced to invest in more books with sure sales, you know, so they are really only buying books from celebrities and established best-selling authors, and they're less able to take risks on books. So with AI written books crowding out the market, publishers are going to be forced to rely on those high profit books more than ever. And when that happens, authors will naturally lose diversity and readers are going to lose uh, the diversity and breadth in what gets published. So. Are authors going to be replaced? I think it kind of sounds like it. Um, the main issue is the fact that the recent generative AI systems have been trained on copyrighted 
human authored works to mimic those works without permission or compensation. And this is where the problem is. The works were simply scripted off the internet or copied from massive databases compiled without permission. And AI developers claim that it's fair use to copy the ingested works many times over, but other places are saying that that is theft. So we're gonna have to figure out some kind of collective licensing. It might be an effective means of paying creators and publishers where licensing on a one-off basis creates a market inefficiency. Who knows? Um, the, she concludes with this, and I thought this is a good way to finish off this segment. She says, Mary says, let me conclude with another response from ChatGPT. I asked, how will AI affect author's ability to make money? And it responded in a perfect high school essay writing style. There is potential for AI to affect author's ability to make money in a number of ways. One potential impact is through the use of AI-powered writing tools, which can help writers generate content more efficiently. This could potentially lower the cost of producing written works, which could in turn impact authors' earnings. It's also possible that AI-generated content could become so prevalent, leading to increased competition for authors and the use of AI in publishing could potentially lead to changes in the distribution and marketing of written works, which could also affect authors' ability to monetize their creation. And ultimately, the impact of AI and authors' ability to make money will depend on a number of factors, including the extent to which AI is used in the writing and publishing process and how authors adapt. <laughs> Nothing insightful here, but we cannot disagree. So it sounds like AI is here to stay. Well, that is our show for today. Uh, thank you for staying with me uh, every week here on Star Style, Be The Star You Are. For more information about Be The Star You Are and our shoe drive, visit bethestarur.org. For information about me or Star Style, Profession, uh, Star Style Productions, hello, Cynthia. Visit CynthiaBryan.com. That's Brian with an I. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate. Cherish the past, dream of the future, and celebrate every moment of your life. And pick up one of my books while, um, while we still are re writing real books at CynthiaBryan.com. And until next week when we celebrate once again, remember that love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. I'm Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you and encouraging you to be the star you are. Be your unapologetically authentic self. Have a fabulous Father's Day weekend with great dads and celebrate Pride's Week. Thanks for joining me. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. 
For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.